talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Hello, once again, it is drop kickoff time, and uh, I'm back in the podcast seat. It's Nick Wasiliev here. Lovely to catch you on this wonderful uh, weekday evening. Uh, we've It's semi-finals time. It's semi-finals in Super Rugby Land, and so we're here to talk about uh, the quarterfinals, the week that was. We're also going to touch on the Wallaroos a little bit, but uh, I have uh, some of the usual suspects back once again. First of all, the one and only Jack O'Rourke. Jack, are we still flying high after the Brumbies uh, win over, over the weekend? Yeah, yeah, I think I think all the games last weekend were were great watching. So yeah, feeling really confident. Yeah, it's uh, it's so nice to see them get through. It's so nice to say that we have an Australian team uh, in the semi-finals. That we have uh, that we made it to to the penultimate, you know, round of competition after so much talk about whether the Aussie teams will stand up. Unfortunately, we've got the the standard Waratah fan uh, on the on the pod at the other end who unfortunately didn't make it. Nathan, how are we feeling? Ah, uh, we're feeling all right. Like it was, it was expected. But you know what? I'm was just glad to be there in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was thinking to myself over the weekend. You know, after you know the weekend that was been, I was like, what a season! What a season it's been for the Tars. Like considering where they were at the end of last year, I think uh, many fans, of course, were optimism about uh, about things going forward. But we're going to make this a short and sweet pod tonight. We've got plenty of rugby to touch on. Uh, we'll first of all talk about, you know, a standout event that stood out for us in that last qu- round of quarterfinals. Then we're going to ask some questions about, you know, now that pretty much only one team, Australian team remains standing, uh, which teams have exceeded expectations and which teams have underperformed? And more specifically, kind of as a mirror to the uh, the podcast that we did at the start of the year about resolutions, you know, has this year been successful? Are we happy? Uh, question three, Wallaroos, uh, they kicked off their Pacific Four Nations competition and they went down, uh, you know, swinging against the, the Blackburns, 23-10. What were our key takeaway points? Um, question four, uh, we're going to jump, continue our player position analysis uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the halves combination, scrum half, fly half, who are we taking into the England series? And then lastly, question five, predictions for the semifinals and uh, other hot takes, other, you know, random bits and bobs that caught our attention from the weekend in the world of rugby. All right, let's, without further ado, dive into the standout events for the weekend. And, Nathan, I'll throw to you first. Um, God, it was a good weekend of rugby. What, uh, what, what, it's, I feel like it's impossible to ask the question, was there a particular moment that made you go, holy sweet baby Jesus, that was amazing? Uh, but give me one. Jesus, it was tough. Um, I don't want to steal you guys' thunder, but I think I have to. It was just the, the Brumbies' performance, the... the the way the Brumbies found a way to get home in the end after after all the drama that went their way, I think the the moment that underpins it for me was um, when I think Banks' try, where he just shimmy through, dummy shimmy through and scored after the the finishers came came on Lachlan uh, Lachlan Lonergan and Frost who just broke it through and then they just kept, caught the Hurricanes napping. It was such a such a Brumbies try, but my goodness, it was it was wonderful to watch a team not panic, remain calm, and close it out, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was an impressive performance. Just like the way they the way they were able to hang in in the game and then just just turn the tides. You know, it it was almost a character characteristic uh, 
New Zealand performance, the way they, they hung in there, um, banked the points, and then they were just able to arrest that momentum and, and, and flip it on its head and, and, and get ahead on the scoreboard. It was, it was really impressive. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a worrying start when we had, in terms of that first half and how things went around. But you know, I think the Brumbies have just, you know, they've really kind of nailed down that ability to win. I mean, I was saying that as they were coming off a, a three-match losing streak, but albeit against, you know, one one was a you know fantastic performance from Moana Pacifica, but also the, you know, the fact that you're playing. Probably the, the arguably that you know the competition heavyweights and the hot competition leaders in the Crusaders and the Blues right now, um, but for me the highlight was uh, was our one and only Andy taking uh, taking the the moment after the tr- after uh, you know Tom Wright scored that try uh, to to take the stance of Noel Alessio and turn it into a keck meme. Um, <laughs> Incredible stuff. Like. <laughs> Of course, how the, how the hell he found that position and that freeze frame uh, beats me, but it, it does give me a laugh. And I love the fact that we've all stayed clear of the other games of the round <laughs> where Australian teams took part um, because, yeah, it was it was disappointing to see the Tars go down as well as the Reds, um, you know, in New Zealand. But, yeah, it was, I think, I think it's fair to say standout events were all Brumbies. It was all Brumbies. Also, no Rob Valentini um, to add as well. Yeah, yeah just touching on you know this this last weekend's action. Uh, you got we might not touch on it a whole bunch, but you got to give credit to the Blues. They're just they're just been outstanding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty pretty impressive performance. You know, and I think you know there's there's shouts that that should be the All Black um, backline with with Christy Barrett, uh, RTS, um, Rico Ioni. Um, that that's just such a that's a, such a lethal combination. Um, so it, it, it was, and I, I will say, you know, it, it's good to have, uh, the blues performing well after like so many years of, um, mediocrity and, and to have like, you know, an entertaining, um, team that you can actually barrack for, uh, you know, and so and someone winning the comp other than the Crusaders has been really refreshing. So, um, I think it's, you know, healthy for the competition and, and, uh, you know they're they're real entertainers and and they're actually a team you can get behind as as much as it frustrates Aussie fans. Um, you know, looking at the bigger picture of the competition, they're just they're, they're a great team to watch. Yeah, I would prefer it if it was an Aussie team that was uh, on the level that the Blues were. But you're absolutely right um, to see to see them as contenders. And you know, I think that you know that they've got to where they have got just through sheer you know, working their asses off and also just the depth that they've managed to accrue in that, like accrue in that side. Um, just those, you just need, it just looks like they needed those, those couple of really solid, you know, experienced heads to just turn what is a pretty talented squad around kind of similar to the Tars when you think about it. Um, but yeah, God, they, they were clinical in that demolition of the Highlanders. I mean, we, 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 we were, we were holding out for a potential, you know, Real spanner in the works, but yeah, the Highlanders, you know, they had no, they had no response. It was a, it was a very clinical performance um, from the Blues. I, I think I tweeted during the week, you know, if the Highlanders upset the Blues, and the the comp will definitely be a, a six team finals uh, next year. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, thankfully they, you know, the best team on the on the day sort of won. So. Yeah, there's a bit of there's a bit of talk about that about the about the eight team you know finals system because I mean you only have to look at the dis- the gap between seventh and eighth uh, in terms of you know the fact that the Highlanders and and the Force were were tussling out for that final placing but they only had picked up four wins each 
uh, in the yeah. season. Do you think there's still legs to this, to the idea of a of a of, a, of an eight team final series, uh, Natho, or do you reckon it's you know this this season is proving that maybe we should just stick to six? No, absolutely not. Like I think I think uh, like the, every finals which, which has an eight team eight team system, like it's this this happens. Like it's. It's one of those things. Usually you have that sort of gap. But, I mean, you know, we forget without an eight-team final, that doesn't, it doesn't come down to the last game of the season. It do, we don't get the drama of the watching a Rebels-Highlanders game, which, let's face it, if that was played in round 12, we would have been like, eh, kept, you, know, we, you know, maybe Dylan would have been absolutely eager and up for it, but anyone else outside of, you know, <laughs> Melbourne, and, Melbourne and Otago, let's face it, then they're not going to be as invested as they were you know, two Sundays ago when you, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, like, they need to get to this result. They need to get to that. Like, with a six-team a six team semi or six-team finals, you're not going to get that that excitement at the end and all the talking that comes out of it. So, like, I, I get it. You know, you, you reward mediocrity, like, with, with you know, a seventh and eighth team, which are going to be under essentially under 500. But you know what? I think it... I, I still like it. I think it's the way forward. And hey, if you finish first, you should be able to play a really bad eight team to get to the semi final. That's that's your reward. So I, I, I like that team. Yeah, I, I do agree with Nate there. Where it, it it does add you know a bit of drama right at the end of the season. You know, if it was you know a, you know just straight semi finals, the comp would have been decided you know weeks out in advance. Um, I think they can. I don't know. We'll see. I wonder if they can tweak it where it's, you know, maybe a playoff or a, uh, um, you know, a, a knockout or something like that. But uh, I think we, we got to stick to, you know, a structure for a while and see how it works. But well, yeah, so, it, the, what the NBA do, I think, is really cool with the the playing game that you have. You, essentially, for them, it's I believe it's like seventh place tenth and eighth place ninth, and the winners go through. Like you could do, you could almost have a have that top eight format, but go at five plays eight, six plays seven. Whoever goes through gets into, I, I don't know, get gets into the yeah. six, and then you know you losers of say so, say so you have one one play two three play four or something like that. Yeah, I, know, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just just reward for you know the, the the top two finishers should get you know a week off or something. But uh, anyway. Yeah, lots of lots of topics of discussion, but hey, look, it's it's been working for it's been working this season in terms of the quality of competition that we've had, and you know, considering that how much of a you know how much Super Rugby has changed over the last couple of years, I think it's it'll like they'll likely it'll just likely be a case of pick and stick for a few seasons, see how it goes, and then and then go from there. Because I mean, we've definitely seen that the twelve the twelve team format has been working, um, and more importantly, the uh, you know teams like the Australian sides have been really standing up as well and and kind of making it through. Um, which brings us to our, our second, you know, topic of discussion, which is let's talk about uh, about teams which exceeded expectations and which teams have underperformed. Um, you know, we at the start of the at the of the year we we sat down and we put through our resolutions, and one of our resolutions was to have four Australian teams make the finals, and it came very close to being to to coming true if it wasn't for one losing bonus point um, in that was decided in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, what are we? What are our thoughts here, Jack? I'll throw to you first. Well, for for this question, I'll, I'll get you boys to talk. Let's talk one team that we think exceeded expectations. Which t- one team that's underperformed? And yeah, what do you think, Jack? Yeah, I think uh, my 
I think my team that didn't quite reach expectations, even though they um, made the finals, um, you know, I, I'm basing this off, you know, expectation versus outcome. You know, they're, they're the team's relative strength to where they ended up on the ladder. So I, I think in terms of that, I think the Reds uh, were disappointing to be to be knocked out of the quarterfinals. Um, you know, they're their own worst enemy um, towards the back end, you know, playing New Zealand teams. Um, they, you know, they, they were in the, in the top three of the competition um, until the Trans-Tasman um, crossover. And then they, uh, you know, fell off a cliff. So, and that really hurt them come quarterfinals time when they, where they play, they had to play the Crusaders, you know, back to back. So uh, I think, I think if you look back at it, the Reds could have gone further if they didn't have um, all these injuries and, and just the, you know, especially the injuries, but the draw killed them as well. So I think they'll look back and, and think they'll be pretty disappointed. And so the, I think they should be as well. Like uh, the, the form that the, the bit of a, like I was kind of tempted to say on that one that like, you know, the form of like, who was the, who was the, the most disappointing team of the year and why was it the Queensland Reds uh, was the question I was tempted to, to, to lead with, but given how much depth they've had and you know, the, 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 the how much they, how, how big the drop off was um, when playing New Zealand sides. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, but, and we were hoping that, you know, there would be, you know, a, a solid before, like they would show up on the weekend and, and in ways they did. I mean, they were aggressive. They took it to the Crusaders. It was a, you know, an interesting match, but the, the polish of the Crusaders just was, was too much. Na- um, Nathan, is it, is it easy? Is, are we being too critical here to bang on about the Reds or are they the team that's kind of, you know, disappointed you as well? I, I feel like, yes. I mean, it's, it's a bit harsh on the Reds given, you know, the injuries they went through as well. And, you know, you take, take, you know, as I said last week, take a generational tight head out and your, your fly half to the two position and plus hooker as well and Alex Murphy. Those three positions is where they were weakest. So, you, I, I think it is partly a bit of um, poor timing. But, I don't know, for me, I've... The team that disappointed, um, I'll actually go for a non-Australian team. I'll say the Highlanders. Like, they, yeah. this, this was a team that went 5-5 five and five against the, um, the Australian teams last year. Got absolutely pummeled by, pummeled in New Zealand. And then re- recorded, what, got, got beat by the Tars in Dunedin and then and beat by the Brummies in Super Round. Like, they're, they're, they've got a very good team. And, you know... For them to finish with what four, five wins, like that's that's not good enough. You compare, I mean, we compare Rosses with the Force and Rebels. You'd, you'd expect the Highlanders to be a lot clearer of them. So, them, I, I would argue they're more disappointing than the Reds. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think it's it's the you you, you we talked about it, you know, early on in the season. I think it was you that mentioned it, Naif, that that the fact that they'd had such a poor start was going to come back to bite them significantly, you know, how, considering their their run in the New Zealand side of the comp. And then hitting the ground running, I think that you mentioned they were playing, you know, the Brumbies first in the Australian side, who were, you know, arguably one of, one of you know, at the time they were one of the stronger Australian sides. And, of course, it, it didn't, you know, didn't lead up to expectations. And even though they did grab a few wins, you know, I reckon there'll be a lot of folks in Otago who would, who would look at that season with a bit of disappointment. And on the flip side, I would say the force exceeded my expectations at least. I think, you know, uh, 
they had they had drafted in some senior players and they were still sort of working out their um, you know starting lineup um, coming into this season and and the way they performed they they had some pretty good wins um, especially you know against Australian opponents and and to even be you know in the conversation for that top eight I think they did um, really well. Um, and it's got me excited for, for their future, especially, you know, bringing in Simon Cron next year. And um, I think, I think they'll, uh, I think they'll have a few uh, guys leaving offshore, some experienced players there, but um, I'm, I'm keen to see what they do in recruiting and, and, and build um, for next year. My one question though, about the forces, I mean, I, I, while I do get your point, um, you know, like part of me had felt that, Considering how, like, should, should I part of, part of me was tempted to, you know, in, in this discussion in terms of teams that I thought underperformed, I was tempted to pick either the Force or the Rebels, given because, you know, I reckon the amount of close games that the Force had in Perth that they should have. They should have put away, or they should have brought home with a win. You know, the that potential win against the Blues that slipped through their fingers, that win against the Brumbies that slipped through their fingers. There was, you know, I, I, there was a there was a period of about three or four matches on the trot where they lost by you know a margin of, you know, four points or less. Um, it, I mean, it's great to see them competitive, but I think you know, a lot of folks. Has it always been the case that the Force are just so near yet so far? Uh, that it's always that yeah they're just those one or two points off or am I being too harsh am I being too harsh I don't know I think it's it's a tough one with the force like you just it, they're a team you expect to we expect to do well and we're went in with expectations that they were going to do going to do really well I just I don't know it, it's it's a weird one because they started the year so well and then all of a sudden just just hit a hit a cliff and just just fell off. When they're in games where they should have won, but and then all of a sudden looked really good to finish the year. It's just fine that consistency. But I don't know I kind of I kind of lean with Jack in the sense of I, I quite I wouldn't call them underperformers. Maybe <laughs> maybe on the side of overperformers, but I mean I, I think just, just performers because because I, I I did think they were <laughs> they were good enough to they were probably an eight or nine nine C team, but. I, I I saw enough out of them this year to think you know what they've got a they've got a really good future you know you get that combo of fines Pasatoa and Kunzel out on the field more often you get Mataeli you have um, you know young forwards coming through like Ollie Callan like um, I've got the names names escape me but um, they did bring but, a few you know homegrown players in as well which was great to see people Jackson Q. Jackson yeah. Q is the name. That name mm. escapes me. He's a really good young number eight. Um, you potentially add someone like Flower Fanga, who's potent, who reportedly is on the move to WA, which is again going to just give you that extra experience and extra competition. Like that, and you've mentioned the cron factor as well. So there's plenty to like. I, I think out of it. It's just I think this is the year they on 2023 has to be the year where it's it's boom or bust. Yeah. Yeah, I, I reckon if, uh, anything other than a finals berth would be a massive disappointment for the uh, for the force next year. I, and I'm curious about that decision of fighting to go to the force because Kaitu is still staying there, isn't he? And he's a Wallaby prospect. I mean, he's he's, he's had he's got, had a couple of Wallaby Test matches under his belt, hasn't he? I think it's just competition. Like you look, you now all of a sudden look across the board. Um, you've got 
yeah, Force we've mentioned, Brumbies is would have a if he's on the move would be Lonigan, Billy Pollard, and Connell McInerney, who's in, again people we forget is a wallaby in his own right. Tars have Parecki, uh, Violanu, and potentially Tolulatu, who we might touch on later in the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's your competition there. And Rebel- Horton as well, Tom Horton. Well, yeah, Tom. And what happens with Tom Horton? For me, I'd like to see Tom Horton go to Queensland or um, the Rebels, and all of a sudden you compete with the Rebels are apparently getting Alex Murphy. So there's if you get Murphy and Horton competing, or even Horton and Richie Asiata. Um, these guys like that. So there's, I think it's just a case of this. There's so much competition around the around the park that we're we're now in this really good spot where you have people like Fanga who won't walk into a walk into a starting side even though he's a bona fide wallaby and just it builds that competition around the five sides that we need. I was going to say on the subject of that, let's talk about uh, if we wanted to talk about the teams that exceeded expectations. Um, and Jack, seeing as you were about to speak, I'll throw to you for this one. Um, to kick off, um, I don't oh, want to no, say. Yeah, I, I already said the force, but uh, I was going to ask Nathan um, who impressed you most this season. Oh, my boys, the Waratahs. Yeah, Cassidy. I mean, we we sat here. I think it was the three of us sat here on the podcast earlier in the year, and we were we were saying, you know what? If if they just competed for a finals, not even not even you know made the finals, but if they were just in with a shot with a couple couple of rounds to go, we we could sit back and say, you know what? I'm happy with this. I'm happy with the performance, but my God, they looked good. They just, they blew expectations out of the park from week one. They all of a sudden look stacked across the, across the board with a coach that has really galvanized the state, which is something you can't say about a Waratahs coach in a long time. So, I mean, it's the obvious pick, but there's a reason it's the obvious pick. They are by far the biggest overperformers in this competition. And it, yeah, and it just goes to show what you know difference you know a, a great coach can make with um you know a man manager as they say uh, galvanizing the boys around you know that tar tough uh, motto and and actually you know going out and performing and they've they've strung some pretty remarkable wins um, against Kiwi opposition as well just just to put them in that in that uh, quarterfinal it's it's been an amazing run and. You can feel the energy around Sydney. Um, everyone's getting behind him now, and and thanks to you know sellout crowds at Leichhardt, it's been a pretty amazing turnaround. It's always a case of you know we'll see you there, DC. See you in the DC. It's all it's the DC effect is what it has been. I think you're absolutely right in terms of how he's galvanised that side, um, and and just delivered um, just performances that you know. I mean, the squad isn't that different from the squad that. You know, DC inherited from you know Penny and the like, and the and the support staff from last year's season. All all they needed was just you know some rockets and a real, you know, turnaround in strategy and approach, and just look how good they look. Look how far they have come. Um, and I wonder if it's just a, just a bit of timing as well, as you said that these got these guys have now been in together for a couple of years. They they had some really hard hard years, and now they're sort of coming out at the end and all working for each other and, and putting some good performances in. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's just nice to see. It's just, look, it's, it, it, it's important to, to, to have a, a strong New South Wales team in Australian rugby. And it's good to see that, you know, finally all of that talent that, that we know is there, you know, from shoot shield leveled all the way up, all the way up is now coming through. And, you know, this coach is a shoot shield coach. 
he's 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 born and bred in New South Wales, and I think that just bringing it back to what it's all about is the key. I think to a key thing, a key factor as well. Just a real change of mindset, a real change of approach, and God, they're looking the better, for, all the better for it. Um, so as a final question on this one, before we move on to talk uh, Wallaroos and the Pacific Four series, you know, we talked about you know hopeful ex- expectations uh, in terms of you know coming into this season. You know, we've we've picked up three wins to the Brumbies, two to the Tars, and then one each to the Rebels and the Force. Um, so four wins to the Brumbies, rather. Uh, so eight wins for the year. Nathan, are we happy? Are we happy with this? Uh, you know, to have a, three teams in the in quarters, one team make it to semis. Is has this been a good year? Uh, God, it's a tough. Is it hasn't been a good year. I think it's. I wouldn't classify it as a good year, but I, I, we're happy about it. Like the, I was trying to trying to work this out today, and the best thing I could come up with. It's like when you take a test. It's like, like when you take a math test and you're like, the first time you go around doing it, you get like 15 out of 100 and you're, you're like, right, all right, we're, this is clearly not working, but let's see if we can get better. And the second time you take, second time we've taken this te- this test, we've gotten 40, which, you know, it can, and that will go up if the Brummies can make a final and go on to win it. But, you know, 40 out of 100, it's, is it a pass? Probably not. And let's face it, we still lost. You know, Reds didn't win a game against a Kiwi opponent. Only one Australian team went over 50% against them. But you know what? I, I still still reckon we can be happy with the progress we've made. Like, it's we, we've been, we were competitive throughout the stages, or throughout most stages of every game. Like, there was, you know, you look at those games um, that we'd lost, and there's at least half a dozen where you could say that could have flipped if, you know, this went our way or this went, this happened differently. So... I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it a pass mark, but I think it's a really positive sign for where the Australians teams sit in comparison to the Kiwis and Fiji and Moana Pacifica. Yeah, so and it and it shows that we're you know improving and and we got to build on that. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to next year when all the fixtures are all all together and um, you know we're we're playing an Australian team one week and a New Zealand team another week, and then there'll be derbies. Um, so I'm, I'm keen on that. You know, if you told me, you know, three teams were going to make the quarterfinals, I, I, I would have been happy with that. I know we said four, but, you know, realistically, three is a, a pretty good result. Um, it's just uh, disappointing to see some of the teams drop-offs when we played the Kiwis. Um, I wish that some of the Australian teams had finished higher in the ladder and, and, and kept their spot. Um, in that, you know, top three so that we could get, you know, one or two more um, home uh, quarterfinals. But uh, I think, yeah, three Aussie teams in the uh, in the top eight was uh, was pretty good going. Um, and, and if you told me, you know, for the next couple of years, you know, three or four t- Aussie teams were going to make the, the quarterfinals, I, I'd be happy with that going forward. Yeah, it's better than last year with no with with the with no teams making the uh, the finals at all. Um, during the Trans Tasman comp, or even the days of you know 2016, 2017, when we we went on like a 27 match losing streak to the Kiwis. Um, yeah, we should, we could have had more wins. We should have had more wins. Um, you know, to be competitive, and you know, while the Brumbies have certainly looked incredibly impressive and have shown that they can really take it to the Kiwi sides and and really uh, have have earned their their court their semi final position. Um, you know, it's. On, onwards and upwards, um, I reckon there is there is more that can be done. Um, but I think, I think 
running that, the, running the, having to run the gauntlet against the New Zealand teams back to back was a huge factor. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to next year. See if we can do it again. It, it, you know, <laughs> you want a competitive comp and, and a bit of consistency. You know, it doesn't have to be the same three Aussie teams um, making the quarters, but as long as you know, as long as we got some teams in there, um, it, it's it's good signs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I reckon I reckon we're probably all on the same same page. Like, yeah, good, but we know it can be better. Um, so I, I like that's a, a good sign. That's what that's yeah. we, need, we want that optimism. You know, where where what's it's you know happy but not satisfied. Like that's the that's yeah. the shit we have to have. Keep just going back to more. <laughs> yeah. Taking it back to that, you know, like the top eight discussion, a competition where um, every every Kiwi side can make it, or every Australian side can make it. It does seem a bit silly, but uh, you know, at, at the same time, there's potential there for you know all our all our teams to get into the quarterfinals. So. And one, I think, also just one one losing bonus point away, we'd be having a different conversation as well. Um, if if the if uh, the Rebels had gone for the try, or you know, the, the force had, had grabbed one or two more wins at home. Um, yeah, because then you would have had a force team that would have outperformed the Highlanders and grabbed more wins, and yep. uh, it'd be a different discussion. Yeah, um, but yeah, let's uh, let's let's jump on to to talk uh, international rugby. Uh, and kicking off first is the how probably one of our, one of our first you know third international fixture fixture for the Wallaroos this year. Uh, they're now over in New Zealand, um, and they went down against a, a very spirited Black Ferns team. Um, 23 to 10 after leaving leading you know 10 to 5 at half time um Nathan Jack I know you both caught this match um you know we I know the Wallaroos had a lot to prove after their you know they went down to Japan um very strong Japan side just before they came overseas at Bond uh, came overseas at Bond, uh, Bond University um are we are we optimistic how are we feeling about uh, about the upcoming fixtures against uh, after these Blackburn after this first Blackburn result I didn't, the first, like first 30, 40 minutes of that, they were really promising signs. Like they were, they were. I know mean, it's rare to say for Australian side, but they were out muscling the Kiwis. They looked on, they looked determined. They, the forwards just absolutely gunned them through the middle. Like it, it looked really good. Like again, and it fell apart towards the end. You know, you can put that down to whether I think Shannon Parry put that down to fatigue or the conditions, which were. Again, there was there was more mud than grass out there, so it wasn't wasn't ideal rugby playing conditions. But still, like it, I mean, it was I, yes, it, this was a pretty new black fan side. But I think there was plenty of positives to come out of it. Do you tend to agree with that, Jack? Or what's your what's your view? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a stat came out from the game that that you know this game was the first time that the Wallaroos had ever led a half against the New Zealand. Blackburn. So yeah, I was going to ask that. Is that the first time? Because it felt like I, I don't recall I've ever seen you know the Wallaroos you know go into the halftime with the lead. Yeah, the first time they've ever led against the Blackburns at halftime. So even that's just a, a positive step forward. And um, I don't think what is it they haven't played against each other since 2019 or something like that. So it's it's been a while since these two teams have met. Um, and I think. The Waller, you know, we've got a few more games coming up against them as well. So I think the Wallaroos will be better for the hit out. Um, but as you said, yeah, like I, I thought that first half, the Wallaroos just played like a great game. Um, they, were, they were playing really smart, wet weather footy, controlling the game. Um, 
the big thing was the, the scrum. Our, our scrum was dominant in the first half, pushing. I think they had a few debutants at, at props and, and stuff, and, and, and we were pushing them off their own um, ball. And then it was just a complete reversal in the second half. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the coach said to them at half time, but they just came out and powered over us um, to, you know, uh, reverse it on, on our end. Um, and, and from that, um, the second half, yeah, some of our handling in the wet weather was just, um, you know, pretty atrocious. We couldn't get anything going on attack. Um, we just had to defend the whole time. And then by the time we got the ball, I think fatigue had set in, as Sharon Parry said, and sort of our decision-making went out the window. But, um, for, you know, for 50 minutes, I would say we, we were re- looking really good and, and, and the confidence was up. Um, but you know, New Zealand rugby is going to New Zealand rugby and they just, uh, find a way to win, but, uh, it's, it's encouraging signs and, and, and we'll be better, um, when we come up against them. Absolutely. And when you, I was, well, sorry, we're just going to jump in when you can consider that you now go from that game into a U, playing USA on Sunday with who were beaten pretty convincingly by Canada. Like, that's – all of a sudden, if you can get a result in that game, you end up going into this final, the final pack four game against Canada with so much confidence that you've all of a sudden – I mean, if, let's face it, we go into into the Laurie O'Reilly, which I believe is the next series against New Zealand, and we've come out of this with a competitive performance against New Zealand and at least one of two wins against either USA or Canada. Like, that's – that's all of a sudden just feels a team which hasn't had much playing time over the past couple of years with so much confidence going forward that you can go to a World Cup and match it with the best or, you know, can, can at least put a competitive performance out there. So, like, I think it's a, it's a really intriguing but promising time for the team. Yeah, and it's, and it's just valuable caps for the Wallaroos, you know. They're, they're starting to... Few, few of the girls are starting to creep over that 10 mark and the 30 mark. I think Liz, Liz Patu... Um, is is racking up some um, caps. So it's just more experience in the bank um, leading up into the World Cup. So the question I ask is, if, as we go into the, you know, the US fixture, um, you mentioned, as, as you know, as you mentioned, the US were thumped by Canada. Australia is that the Wallaroos have actually never grabbed a win over the US um, in, you know, in women's rugby history. Uh, five fixtures, five losses so far. Um is fatigue the, the key thing right now? Because, you know, uh, how what did New Zealand, specifically the Blackburns, do in terms of managing their fatigue uh, that the Wallaroos just didn't capitalise on? And is that the key difference here? Is that the only thing that stops, you, you know, the Wallaroos, you know, the, makes, the, makes up the difference between winning and losing? I think it I think it just comes down to that rugby IQ. You know, the, the Blackburns um, just, you know, just knew how to play um, to the conditions and, and we're able to change their tactics and um, held onto the ball at the right time, kick the ball at the right time when it when it started lashing down and really really pin the Waller, Wallaroos back and they had to do a lot of um, defending. Um, and then you know, like typical New Zealand sides, that the Black Ferns just struck when it was on and they were able to finish off their chances. Interesting, yeah. It's it's. I think I think it is. If it sounds like rugby smarts is the difference, it's a it's a key one. Nathan, do you think it's because uh, I know you wrote an article uh, in you know for that co- that covered the the kind of five key talking points, um, and you mentioned you know this talk of you know fatigue and stuff like that as well. Um, is it also down to what sort of rugby smarts that uh, you reckon they'll need to bring to to beat this US side? 
I think, I think they, they showed it in, in, in patches, but it's just that playing the condi- firstly playing the conditions was a, was a big thing out of this game. They just they found so much as Jack alluded to. They found so much success when they were playing that sort of ten player game, and really just kept the ball in tight and you know knew what knew where their strengths were and you know learnt from the Japan game. You can't just you can't just run around people, and I think they they just kind of went away from that when when. The going got a bit tough, so I think that's kind of the key key thing in terms of rugby smarts. Like, that's that's just going to be that's good for me. That's going to be the big thing if they can they can just kind of stick to that game plan. I think that's what I think. Um, Parry admitted after the game that they kind of went away from it as well. But if you if they can just stick to that for the full eighty minutes, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what they can they can come up with against against USA and hopefully dry conditions on Sunday. Yeah, you, the US have been. Pretty traditionally strong though, haven't they? So it, that that result was surprising. I think Canada have um, you know prioritised a few few things. So there's been a few chopping and changing with that team. So I, I was surprised by the result, but to be honest, I haven't been following it too closely. Yeah, it's. Oh, I know that. I know that there has been you know talk a lot of talk about this Canadian women's team uh, and. You know, while there's been you know lots of back and forth in terms of the Canadian men's rugby team, I think, you know, that I reckon the Canadian w- women's team are really shaping up to be potential dark horses. I mean, obviously, you know, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot to bring down the Red Roses uh, at the moment, um, but uh, you know, New Zealand definitely have the, the firepower to do it, and Canada may have the chance to, you know, spring a few surprises, uh, judging by a couple of their performances. Um, it's, funny. it's funny, even though you know, like. The USA is typically a powerhouse in, you know, the Olympics and every other sport, and you <laughs> and you really root against them for that because um, they're just like so good at everything. <laughs> I, sort of, I sort of have a soft spot for like, yeah, the Canadian team and the USA team in rugby. I want to see them do really well, but not against the Wallaroos. Let's let's hope we can get a win against the US. Spread the game. That's what we want. We need a Northern Hemisphere Tier One nation. That's what we need. Um, for the game, just in general, it's nice to have a you know one. At least we've got one tier one nation in the Americas. We need another, um, and yeah, fingers crossed we can. Um, let's jump over to uh, player position analysis. We've been doing these uh, player position analysis for the uh, Wallabies heading up to their upstarting upcoming series against England. Um, we've talked you know the entire forward pack, but now we're going to move into the halves, scrum half, fly half, um, and uh, I'll include a link to a you know. A, a, kind of the, the depth that we have in this position in the description because we do have some options. We do have some very interesting options here. Um, you know, for scrum half, we've, of course, got, you know, Tate McDermott hopefully are, you know, escaping some, you know, he came off the field against the the Crusaders, but we hope that he'll be all right. But there's also Nick White, there's Jake Gordon, Joe Powell, Lonigan at the Brumbies, Pryor at the Force, and then Tuttle, Tuttle and then Isaac uh, finds Liliawasa at the Force. Um, but then also, let's talk fly half because I think this has probably been the most talked about position in, <laughs> like, for the last <clears throat> three or four years. Um, because there's real depth starting to grow, you know, with James O'Connor, Noel the Lesio. Um, the, then there's the three boys in, in, at the Tars: Donaldson, Harrison, and Edmed. Um, Pasatoa has kind of emerged as a as a really strong, uh, you know, contender there. And then of course Carter Gordon, um, who t- only today was uh, has signed on for another two years at the Stockade at the Rebels. Um, so, Natho, it's the first game you're playing uh, against uh, against the old enemy. Who are you taking out uh, as your starting scrum half, fly half combo? 
Well, it's a tough one. Like, and I, I generally think it could change depending on depending on next fortnight and how uh, Lesio goes against the Kiwi opposition. But at this stage, I would probably go Nick White and Quay Cooper with Noah and Tate on the bench. I think I think you just need that experience at nine and ten. And uh, you know, Quay did more than enough against South Africa last year to and Argentina to show that, or not to show, but to kind of command another chance to really start and press his claim. So, you know, I think I think you've got to try and chuck him in against England. White is a neck-and-neck neck prospect with Tate McDermott, but I think he just gives you that bit, bit of control, bit more, uh, a bit more refined passing game, an all-round game than what Tate can. But, I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen the other. So, but... Against against an England side, which could be throwing up someone like Marcus Smith, who is, you know, has plenty of experience at club level, but is still building his caps at an international level. I think I would rather go with the experienced duo to start. Interesting on that one, because, I mean, part of me thinks that experience would also work. But, I mean, you know, White and Cooper, while they are experienced and have played together in the past, it has been a little while. And, Another part of me would would fall back on the Ben Darwin uh, consistency of you know sticking with a with a with a a combo that has played together for a whole season at Super Rugby, um, where which is why I was you know either thinking White or Lalesio or McDermott or and O'Connor. Jack, do you, do you think that that's the case, or do you reckon you know Nathos on the uh, on the money with just sheer experience and and you know considering Cooper is offering his services um, and you know he was a big orchestrator of that that five-match winning streak last year, is it just a case of a no-brainer to, to pick the overseas player? Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree that these two positions sort of go hand in hand. Um, and I think it is uh, combination-based. I wrote, I wrote an article for Rugby Pass where say, saying that same thing. And it's almost a yin and yang where you've got the, the experienced scrum half in Nick White with the, the rookie fly half, Lola Lucia. Um And on the other hand, you have the veteran fly half in James O'Connor partnered with Tate McDermott. So I think, I think you got to go with those two, those partnerships. So whoever you start at halfback, their, their, their club mate has to start um, at that fly half as well. Um, so uh, I do have concerns over um, O'Connor, just his run of hamstrings. And even if he's back for the, the England test, is he, is he going to last the series? He's just, he sort of had a horror run. So, I would go with Nick. Like Nick White is 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 the form halfback in in Super Rugby at the moment. Um, yes, Tate's Tate's great, um, and he, and he offers something completely different. But I think the way White controls the game, and I think his partnership with Lolaseo really helps that. So I go with that 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 combination at 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 scrum half and fly half. I think um, I'm still. Skeptical on Quade Cooper. Um, he he came in, played the house down, you know, in South Africa, and um, backed it up against Argentina. But you could you could even see by the time he was playing Japan, he he was back to his old tricks, getting tricky, you know, flick passes, cut out balls, um, you know, a few you know um, decision making um, things. So um, you know, I'm happy. To see him prove me wrong, and he, I reckon he will get the, the start. But I would prefer to see that that Brumbies combination um, at least start for the first test and, and see how we go with 
baby Quaid off the bench or or something. Yeah. The thing about this combination is a point I want to touch. Just a point I want to touch on is, you know, we talk about it has to be a club combo or you know we, that's the, that's the Darwin theory, but it's not like what um, White and Cooper haven't played together before. Like it's it's a combo that's been pretty natural going through the Wallaby system and. When you look at that five-game winning streak, it's it's the White Cooper combo that starts at four. That starts starts four of those five games. For me, it's for me what goes what potentially kind of playing devil advocate here. What goes against some? There's certain things that might or that potentially goes against those combinations that what we've kind of what we've or what Jack touched on there is you have a ten in O'Connor who is. Very uh, was underdone in the terms of the last kind of two months in terms of his injuries wise, and McDermott who is has who's you know shown that he can he can take it to a you know a international level but hasn't started that many games against England. When you then throw Brumbies when you have a you have a, sure have an experience ahead in White, but there was and you have Noah who's you know been been exceptional, but there was a reason why Quaid got brought in. Was that you know when he when he went up against your New Zealands and tuning, it's probably not fair to throw France in there, but mainly New Zealand, he just didn't kind of adapt to that game. So I think there's, I don't I don't believe that you have to have that club combination, but I think there is, it's one of those positions that is so wide open that I think you could throw four or five of those combinations between those guys that we've mentioned, those kind of five guys. And I think they they could absolutely do the job. I think just as I think just as important is is um, the ten twelve combination. Almost you you look at um, when Lolaseo was playing. He you know that twelve. I think you know they started three different three different players. You had Paisami in there. You had Fichetti in there. Simone got a cap. So um you know he he was left to um, partner with all these different centers as well. Whereas Cooper had Karevi inside him. And he, and he was one of the keys to that South African success, and and they've played together a lot. So um, it, it and so you're right, Nate. Maybe like if 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 Karevi's going to come back and start at twelve, then maybe that you know that Cooper and um Karevi access will would um work better against you know um a big a big team like England. So true. So those three for those so those three games in New Zealand, it was Paisami. Tamua, and then that's when Karevi came in. So right. I think it's it's that combo. As you, you're completely right there. That combo, ten and twelve is so underrated. But again, one that you just need if you just need consistency in. And you know, we'll touch on it when we get to the centers. But it's it, it's it's going to be so big for whoever's picked the ten just to keep that twelve pretty settled and or, or and or a combination that they're familiar with. Yeah, and it'll be interesting now with Australia A eh, coming in. Um, whether yeah, who who gets into the main squad and who's who's left to develop in the um in the Australia A with the likes of Edmed, Donaldson, um, who else is there? You know, there's a, there's a few options there even underneath those. Like you know, Harrison, um, Gordon. Yeah, Patrick I think Harrison's still still injured, but yeah, but any of those guys might get a shot. Like, so uh, it's good to see the Australia A back because um from my from my understanding, it's they're gonna pick. A Wallaby squad and whoever doesn't make that squad goes and plays for Australia A. Eh? So, you know, um, they've, I think they've got to be a bit tactical about it as well because you, you, you know, 
I don't think there'd be any point in picking Edmed in the Wallaby squad, the main Wallaby squad, if he's not going to get any game time. I think it's more beneficial if he goes, plays in um, uh, Australia A and, and we start building up that uh, that experience in, in, in the 10 position. Yeah, and considering the the exciting prospects that are coming through, it makes sense to 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 you know, especially now, now more than ever, to to really kind of use that as the platform. Um, I was going to touch on the question and ask, do you think there is any chance that there that we might have a bolter into the side? But you know, I think we've resolutely seen that even though Gordon has shown some you know some promise at the Waratahs this year, um, that hasn't necessarily translated in the past to. To, to international level success, um, even though you know he looks like a different player under under DC, um, but you know even the likes of you know your, Lonig- your Ryan Lonigans, your Pryor, who's you know long been touted into of getting into that international squad, or even James Tuttle, um, as well. Do you think we will see a bolter, or is it a case of just you stick with we stick yeah. with who we've been seeing the last few years? I, I can't see it in the scrum halves. I think they're all pretty locked down with 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 White, McDermott and Gordon they're, they're our first three choices uh, and I think I think there's a bit of daylight second um, so it'll be s- s- interesting to see who gets in the in the A squad Yeah, I tend to agree with Jack I mean, but and to kind of predict an A squad, it, that seems like the perfect place for a Ryan Lonigan who has been around the Wallaby squad but never kind of broken through. Mm. I think I think Tuttle is, is your bolter for that Australia A squad I think people forget he's only 26 like he's Jeez, still got, yeah. he's he's been around for so long yet he's he's still got so much sort of potential behind him. So and he was he was actually really good when signing for the Rebels. So I think there's probably that's probably how your 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 teams line up for a Wallabies and Australia A with I mean again for, for ten for Australia A take your pick. I would probably go Carter if I, if it was me I'd probably go Carter Gordon and have Donaldson at fifteen. With with Edmund off the bench, but you yeah. can ha- you can pick so many options and and still not be wrong. <laughs> it's the right problem to have, which is just so nice to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the the Wallabies squad gets announced Sunday, so maybe next week we should predict a, an Australian A. That's going to be more exciting than than the actual Wallabies squad. Yeah, I think uh, you know, considering how much you know talk there has been about that Australia A side that plays in the Pacific Four. That'll play in the Pacific Four comp. Um, you know, we've been looking at the, the. We should not forget that the Fijian sides and the and the you know Tongan sides have all been named as well. And some of those those squads are looking really good. You only have to look and see like the likes of you know how many Drua players made the cut for Fiji, or also Mateele as well for the Force. Um, yep. And the Tongan for the Moan sides are also looking really solid. Um, yep. It's uh, it's going to be tough there's, going for the. There's uh, in those. Um, yeah, just touching on that quickly, like in the Pacific Nations comp, like. For Tonga, you got Piatau, Falau. For Samoa, you got Jordan Taifua. Um, for Fiji, you got yeah uh, Seta Tumani Valu, who's you know been eligible. So there's a lot of lot of new faces that have that have come across to their to their nations because of that eligibility law. So it'll be really exciting to see them in action. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, maybe it sounds to me like we should do a different, uh, should do a, a themed Pacific Nations podcast. Um, sounds to me like a, a future podcast to, to for us to plan in the pipeline um, to talk about that Australian A side, but also that Pacific Nations comp because it's going to be an interesting one to watch uh, going forward. Um, 
If you guys don't have anything else to add on player position, let's talk predictions uh, for the weekend um, and other hot takes. Uh, we've got uh, we've got the semi-finals um, this weekend. The Blues will be playing. Uh, will be uh, hosting the Brumbies at Eden Park, which is going to be a, a very fascinating clash. The uh, the last Australian side, the Brumbies, uh, will be will be looking to try and produce a, a you know a win for the ages against a very strong Blues side. While the Crusaders uh, host the Chiefs uh, down on in the South Island in Christchurch, let's talk predictions. Um, we'll also dive into. I'll also do predictions for the Wallaroos after this. Uh, but yeah, let's talk. Uh, let's talk predictions for this for these semi-finals. Natho, who is taking? Who is going to the big dance? God, I want to say Brumby so much. Don't I, we I all? <laughs> you know what? I will. I'm gonna. I'm. I like and for context. Oh! We're, oh wow! <laughs> we're, we're recording. We're recording this. We're recording this Tuesday night, so we don't know if Ikatel's got off his charge yet. We don't know if Rob Valentini's going to be back. I'm. I'm going to just. I'm going to make the early prediction. Both. Both are cleared. Um, I. I, ge- I generally think the Brumbies can, took, can take so much confidence out of that game in Canberra. Like there was so much that didn't go their way, yet they were two or three rucks away from sealing that game. I do also, there is a part of me that questions also, how much can the Blues keep just getting out of jail? How many times can they keep rolling the dice and coming up with the goods? So I, I, I generally, you know what, it might be the, the my heart speaking here, but I'm going to say the Brumbies find a way to get it done just to kind of completely throw a spatter in the works. So Brumbies by five. I would say Brumbies by five. Oh. Wow, I mean, it would be a win for the ages if uh, if we saw that, and it definitely uh, would uh, would definitely prove many surprise many. I reckon, Jacko, do you reckon uh, do you reckon uh, Nathos dreaming, or are we believing, my boy? Yeah, the, the heart says Brumbies, but I gotta go the the Blues, um, and my hot take will be RTS scores a hat trick. I reckon that's that's you my reckon bold. A, what a demolition by the. Uh, <laughs> But I think he'll he'll have a blinder of a game. Oh yeah, look, it's there's no denying how strong this blue side is. You know, I, I really do want to say Brumbies, but I do think, you know, it, it's I'm in the same I'm in the same headspace, Jack. How how shocking are we that the two Brumbies the two Brumby supporters are going to go Blues and the Tar supporter is going to go Brumbies? What what have we become? What are we? It, it's a shame shame on us. Got to have faith. Oh, always got to have faith. You, you optimistic Tars fans, you. <laughs> we get one taste. We get like a little taste of victory, and all of a sudden, we just start thinking the world's going to turn our way. <laughs> well, uh, considering the season it's been, I, I appreciate the optimism. Crusaders Chiefs, uh, Jack, what are your thoughts? Uh, Chiefs, just because I despise the. <laughs> Although I would love to see Blues beat the Crusaders in a final. That'd be pretty electric. Um, but mm, no, I, I think Chiefs are Chiefs have been the smoky of this competition. They've been sort of flying under the radar, but they've they've been putting in really good performances and they they got a solid team with some pretty exciting backs. So um, I'm gonna go yeah, I'm gonna go Chiefs. Um, and my hot take will be uh, someone will. Uh, Smash Pintopia for being a rat bag and rubbing people on the head. <laughs> God, I hope so. That was that was that was just a shit. Excuse the language. That was a shit bloke moment right there. 
You're allowed to swear on this podcast. You can drop the S bomb. Oh, <laughs> also, the interesting the interesting thing is is you know you when that was all going down, it was interesting seeing Harry Wilson pipe up and say say apparently uh, Richie Mwanga was doing a similar thing to the Reds. Mm. I think it's well. To be honest, I think the Reds can give as good as we get. You only have to look at all the stuff, all the shit Taniella Tupo um, dishes out to, to his opposite numbers and gives them a, a bit of lip. So they, they were also a lot smarter and did it off camera. So that exactly kind of, that well. <laughs> instead of doing it right in front of the referee um, yeah. and giving him and giving him the clap off in in perfect fashion. Uh, Nathan, are you in agreement? Do you reckon the chefs are gonna are gonna serve up the Crusaders? No, this is this is where my um, bold bold takes gonna gonna come in. I reckon they get absolutely smacked by the Crusaders. I just <laughs> I just have that feeling that this is the time when the Crusaders produce that statement performance where they they go, all right, this is why this is why we're here. This is what we do. And I just I haven't been convinced. I know that the Chiefs have flown under the radar, and I think they they can be considered as we were talking about underperforming. Um, not underperforming teams, played opposite, overperforming teams. And I think that how they've done without Damien McKenzie has been incredible. But I don't know. I just, whenever I look at this Chiefs team, I, I think back to how they played against Fiji and the Rebels. And I just, I think there might be another one of those performances in them. And this is where the Crusaders will go, all right, people, people are now seeing the Blues as the team to beat. All right, bet. See what we can do here. And my prediction is they'll come out and absolutely thump them by I'll say 25 to 30. Oh, by five. I like it. I reckon it, yeah. I'm in, I'm in agreement with you, and I feel so boring for being the, uh, you know, not no controversial, you know, upset winning upset win here, Blues Crusaders. I think as much as uh, it it uh, it makes me, it fills me with dread, I do think it's uh, they're of the of all the teams, they're looking the, they're looking the sides to beat uh, Crusaders Blues, and I would not be surprised to see it, both of those teams be squaring off next week in the final. I'm seeing, sensing a Crusaders win um, uh, this weekend in Christchurch. Um, let's talk Wallaroos and USA Rugby, and then we finish up. Uh, you know, they play uh, on the 12th of June. Um, the USA will, will post the Wallaroos. Wallaroos chasing their first win ever over the USA. Let's talk uh, Let's talk fixtures. Nathan, who, uh, who are you thinking takes the win here? I, I generally reckon the Wallaroos can win this. I like they've they showed enough against the Kiwis that they can match it with the best or with one of the best. I think there's still plenty of work ons, but I I think they've got enough in the attack to really test the US, who weren't that, who were nowhere near the best actually against Canada. So you know it's I think this is, this is going to be a great a great barometer to see where they actually are. And you know what? I think they can get it done. So I'll say I'll say Wallaroos by seven. Jacko, do you uh, do you agree? Do you disagree? Are the Yanks due for a spanking? Yeah, yeah no, I I agree. I, I reckon it'll be closer though. I think uh, maybe that Canadian game wasn't the best uh, barometer on where the USA are at. I think it'll be a lot closer. Um, but I think yeah, Wallaroos Wallaroos can do it. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm back in the Wallaroos for a first win here, and my final hot my hot take for this uh, for this will be that I actually think that the Wallaroos will actually finish as runners up to this Pacific Nations uh, for Pacific Nations comp and grab a win over Canada. They'll get on a winning streak and grab the W over Canada. Um, 
as well, just to to really throw it throw the spanner in the works. Because if they get that win, if they get that, you know, if they get on a roll with the performance here, that they can really carve out some history for themselves here. Um, I reckon uh, they really have the potential to also cause a surprise or two uh, against the Canadians as well. <clears throat> All right, I think we're done. Uh, I think that covers uh, rugby for the weekend. Uh, any final thoughts, lads, or are we uh, we excited for another weekend of rugby? I think that there's one one point we've got to try and touch on, and you know, Nick Hartman would be remiss if we didn't. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> the goat himself, totally, the, the the shirt signer himself is reportedly coming back, as reported by the SMH. Tolu Latu set to return to the Waratahs for I guess our final final question. Thoughts on that? <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> if he if he is picked uh, over Parecki, I'm gonna freaking shit myself like jesus christ that's my thoughts <laughs> i don't think the waratahs need him but we'll say it's good you know I, w- I will say that you know there's a there's a lot of you know talk around australian rugby when when someone gets signed overseas and go ah that's all right he wasn't he, he wasn't first choice anyway but what what makes australian rugby stronger is to have that that depth and we, you know and you kind of you know, he can't afford to knock back a Wallaby, I guess. But whether he's a good good fit for Waratah or Super Rugby in general, I, I don't know. I think he's had a few chances. So yeah. For me, it's it comes down to what type of deal he's on. Is it is he coming back at, on a type of deal which, you know, a Wallaby would be would be expecting to come back on? Or is it a guy who's on his who's on a final chance with an Australian club? You know, because if, if, if it is a, you know, a, a minimum style deal, absolutely, yep. absolutely take him. There's, you know, if it's a little risk deal, you can't miss and go for it. And I think as well, the, you know, even before Coleman came in, the Waratahs culture has, you know, had a knack of turning these type of players around. You look at, Zaya Parisi is the best example of that. Like he was, he Left the left rugby league in disgrace after his drug charge and was not yeah. in the best place. Come France, comes into Waratah squad and all of a sudden kills it. Carmichael Hunt's a similar example. You know, you then add the influence that DC's had over that squad. Like, it feels like uh, if anyone can, this is the this is the right right spot for him. So, I don't I don't mind it as long as it's at the right price. Uh, we'll see. Mm. Well, I'm not. I'm. I'll be the. Uh, I'll be the. Uh, the the pessimist on this one, um, which Hartman would expect. Hartman would expect me to to be like, nah, don't do it. Um, just one because you know I think many people feel that you know in terms of his his style of game, he's been a little a little bit of a liability for the last little while. He's not been in control on the rugby field a lot, um, and the last thing that. You know, we re- need right now, especially after such positive, you know, growth that we've had over the course of the last few years, is a bloke that you know gives away a dumb penalty, does something stupid, um, you know. But maybe you're right, Nathan. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe the bloke is, you know, he's he genuinely wants to turn things around. And if it is the case that you know he believes or hopes that he can do it and is gonna, you know, be treated as a last chance, then if he does that. And he does, and he and he turns it, and he turns it around. Then you know he's still he's still a strong athlete. He's still a strong performer, and he is a wallaby. Um, 
I'm not optimistic, and it's, and he should definitely be be second fiddle to Parecki at the moment um, in terms of sheer performance. Well, on that note, I reckon uh, I reckon we'll wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, lads. Uh, been a pleasure as always talking drop uh, talking rugby, talking the uh, the the week of, that was in the world of rugby. Um, and uh, yeah, let's get excited for a weekend of semi-finals. Let's go semi-final time. Let's and the Brumbies get up. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice to see uh, a shock a shock performance in Auckland, a shock win in Auckland. Um, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for for coming on the pod, uh, coming on the pod, coming listen to the pod rather. Uh, it's been a pleasure having uh, having talking to you, talking rugby with you, and uh, we'll catch you the next time around. Go the Brums. Yeah, boy. What did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Shirley Bombo, very interesting, very good. Yeah, very good. Three cheers for Shirley Bombo. Very good, very good.